Uh, just glad you're here today. Today we're starting something new because here is, at Fathom, we've really been a, a biblical community, doing our best to, to be, uh, embody what Scripture teaches about being a family, a family of faith, and we've been doing our best to embody that, but if we're really honest, I don't think we've really done that full-fledged yet. I don't think we've really been just encountering that to the depth of which, what Scripture teaches, and so we're getting ready to, to launch something this week that's really going to be where the place where the rubber meets the road, where real life happens, where we're not just the people who just gather once a week to, to maybe drink a cup of coffee, to worship for a few minutes, but truly people who are living out their faith on a daily basis. And we're doing it together because that's how we were created. And despite what really our culture you know, says about us being so connected and networked, we're really people who are all alone, and we like to live our lives alone, and, and so that's the opposite of what Scripture teaches, and we really want to, to focus on that for the next four weeks. So I want you to begin to engage in the truths of Scripture as they're presented, and really see what that would do for, for your personal walk. And uh, <clears throat> I, I was a really big fan, uh, actually Jesse and I were both really big fans in college of a show called Lost. Anybody know what show Lost? Woo! I know there's some fans out there. Uh, I I saw uh, this quote that was kind of the dialogue of a piece of the long story of Lost. For those of you that don't know, a plane crashes on a deserted island and they're lost. I mean, classic story. Um, But it was really beautifully written, very kind of engaging the whole process, very entertaining. Uh, but there's this, there's this character, her name's Rousseau, a little bit of a minor character in the whole grand scheme of things. Some of you might not even remember who Rousseau is, but she's this French woman who uh, was stranded on the island years and years before, and she's been alone for a really long time, had some kids, but been on this island for, by herself for a really long time. There's this other character named Saeed, and, and he's this uh, Iraqi-like torturer. That's what he did, and he also was one of the ones that came on the plane recently. And so they're having this conversation, this interaction back and forth, and she's been on this island, and she's a little bit of a strange character, you know, very defensive, wants to fight, and, you know, willing to kill somebody. She's a tough lady. And she, um, uh, she looks at Saeed and says, do you think I'm insane? And Saeed looks at her and he says, I don't think you're insane. I just think you've been alone for a really long time. And some of us here this morning, we may feel insane. We may feel like we're going crazy because even though we may have a, a community of people in, what, in which we live or we work with, we feel all alone because we've really yet to engage in the true principles of what it means to be community. So we're going to dive deeper in this today. And, and here's the, the kind of the perspective of where we're going. We're going to move from Genesis to Acts, but that's, that's biblically where we're going but ultimately, where we need to be going personally is knowing that community transforms us. Uh, in real, true, biblical community, you can't be in true, biblical community and not be changed. You can't be in a relationship with Christ and not be changed. And that's something we experienced in, in college together. It was a moment of just true honesty and authenticity to be known for who you truly are and be accepted for who you truly are. That's where a lot of freedom begins to take place and you can move from where you're accepted to really where God desires for us to be. And so uh, we thought what better way to, to teach on community than to teach in community. So we're gonna do that <laughs> together this morning, uh, Jesse and I. So. Yeah, um, my name's Jesse. Um, we thought it was important for us to start in the very beginning. And when I say the very beginning, I mean the very, very beginning. And uh, community 
like you said, is going to be a word we're going to say a lot here today. And, and in a lot of ways, words just kind of lose their, their meaning. And it's kind of a buzzword today, but we believe that the idea and the essence of community has been around for a very, very long time. And uh, when I say beginning, I'm talking about the very, very beginning. In the beginning, there was community. And I'm talking about the very beginning, before there was any earth or there was any matter, before any atoms or molecules were created or spoken into life, before anything could evolve or grow, before the world was set into motion, there was community. There was community because God is community. And God has always been around. And we get our first view of community in God. In the beginning, there was community because God was. God has always been. God has always existed. And just kind of feel that for a second. Just kind of feel the weight of that. It's kind of like it just kind of blows your mind a little bit. And God has always existed. And God is community. And there has never been a time where there hasn't been community because there's never been a time when God wasn't. And a lot of you probably know where I'm going with this. We're going to talk about the Trinity today. It's one of the most basic and confusing doctrines of the Christian faith. It's one of those things we kind of like pretend we understand, but really when we think about it for too long, it just kind of makes our brain hurt a little bit, right? And so but don't worry, we're going to make this as painless as possible today. And so we get our first hint at the Trinity in the first chapters of Genesis, we, we get to see this happen, and, and it's in verse 1, and, and you're all familiar with this probably. And it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And it goes on to say, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Like nothing had been created yet. The earth was a blank canvas. There's nothing there, but yet there is community. Because before the earth was, God was. And that means that community was. And, and, and then it goes on, and it, God begins to create, and we get to see our first glimpse of what we call the Trinity in verse 26. It says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Did you catch that? In the beginning it says, let us make. Let us make mankind in our image. It's kind of like a WT moment. It's like, what the, you know, because the only F we use around here is fathom. And so it's like one of those moments you're like, who is God talking to right now? Like, nothing exists. And, and don't worry, because God isn't like the awkward guy on the public bus in the back talking to himself. God isn't crazy. God is talking to God, which is kind of weird. But God is talking to his community. He's talking to the Son. He's talking to the Holy Spirit. And they're talking together and they're communing and they're about to create all of creation. And God is speaking with his community three distinct persons. Three very different persons, yet one essence, one nature. Three 
yet one. And I, and I know right there, boom, I lost some of you. Like some of you aren't tracking and you're thinking, Jesse, do you really believe in the Trinity? Like this is such a bizarre thing that, that there's one God, but yet he's three distinct persons. Do you really believe this? And, and the answer is yes. And then the second thing you're probably wondering is, do you really understand that? Like can you really wrap your brain around the essence of the Trinity? And the answer is no, I don't. It's a little confusing, it's, and it's okay to not totally understand. Because really what's happening, God is so big, and he's so large, and he's so majestic, and so fantastic, that our finite minds can't exactly grasp the infinite nature of God. And so really, we really can't wrap our minds around the Trinity. Not, not, not really, because language fails us. So often language fails us. Like, I don't know if you've ex- ever experienced this when you see a sunset or you, or you see a piece of art or you, or you hear a song. We're, we're on the East Coast now, so we get sunrises. Oh, sunrise. Yeah, so okay, yeah. If you've seen a sunset, sunrise. So um, like, have you experienced that when you see these things that are so beautiful that you just don't have words to describe it? Like, there's just this feeling inside of you that you just can't find words to express what is happening, like how it's affecting you. Or like, have you ever looked in the eyes of somebody you loved? And you just can't quite describe the feeling. It's kind of like an ugh moment where you're just like, ah, I love you so much. I just can't even put it into words. Language fails us, and that's why we write songs, and that's why we write poetry, because we're trying to capture the transcendent. But language will always fail us, and it fails us when we talk about God, because it's us, finite people, trying to describe the most infinite and amazing thing possible. And language will fail us. And so we try to describe the Trinity. We try to do our best to describe God. But it's going to fall short, and so we land in this place where we say there are three distinct persons with, with distinct characteristics, with distinct purposes, with distinct attributes, but yet they are one. They are one essence. They are one nature. And so we kind of sit in this tension, three yet one God. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even the idea of personhood, using the term person would tend to confuse us some and you say well where does that come from because so much time in popular media it's like God is old old, you know white bearded man kind of Zeus-esque you know sitting in the sky with a a lightning bolt somehow our you know kind of picture of God and and Zeus have you know um, clouded really the picture of it and really just his personhood comes throughout scripture as we see God have a will and have emotions and and, and see a, a personal interaction that from the very beginning he wasn't just looking to control creation but he wanted to love what happened in creation was an act of love and and, and since then it's just an act of love and God's personal nature and his personal touch in our life that he's not some distant God but he's actually in love with us and he's relating to us so that's where we get this kind of understanding of personhood and even up to Christ and we see Christ weeping we we see Christ with with people and his best friend you know dying and weeping weeping over that so we have this human interaction and many times you know throughout scripture we see God referred to as a he, but again, even in that sense, we're not necessarily referring to God having a gender uh, in that type of personhood, but in fact, all the qualities, we're doing our best to describe him. This infinite nature of God, that's just difficult to describe. We, we kind of just sit with this beautiful mystery 
of who God is. And we sit in this beautiful mystery of the Trinity and, and, and Trinity as community, and we try to wrap our brains around that. And because God is community, it's in his essence that he is three people in one. So he's existing in community. From before time begins, God is in community with himself and with the persons of the Trinity. Because God is community and he created us in his image, we believe that we were created to exist in community ourselves. As we are image bearers of God, we are image bearers of a community. And so God has created us to exist in community with God and also with creation, specifically human beings. We weren't created to live in isolation. Like, when, when a soul is isolated, it, it, it dies. There's something that it's just not living in its fullness. We weren't created to live in isolation, but together. And as a community, we are supposed to model and mirror the community of God to our world and to our neighbors. And so what we want to do today is we just kind of want to break down the Trinity. We want to look at some specific characteristics of each person of the Trinity and the implications that has for us as we enter into community together and, and, and specifically as we launch anchor groups. This week we're launching these groups where we're going to begin to gather in homes and eat together and just do life together and be friends and, and just explore the Gospels and explore God and explore Jesus. And so as we do that, we need to understand where community begins. And so what we're going to do is just simply go through the persons of the Trinity and say what characteristics do they have that we need to model, that we need to learn from. And so that's where we're going to be going today. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at God the Father. And the characteristic that I want to focus in on is just the Father's heart of God. See, when Jesus uh, teaches the disciples how to pray, and he, and he ultimately is teaching us how to pray, he says, when you come before God and you pray, approach him as a father. Approach God as father and present your request to him as a father. And he brings it down to this personal level, which is a really revolutionary idea when Jesus says, approach God as Father. He's no longer this distant being who's angry that you have to go and kill an animal to atone for your sins. He's now bringing it to a very personal level that this is your dad. And you are able to come into his presence freely. And the implications of God being a father is that he's, he's, he's our father. He's our father, and the heart of the father is to adopt and to gather people into his family. And first, let me say, for me, when I hear God as father, that's a really comforting thing for me. Um, I have a really great relationship with my dad, and so that's a, that's a really, that just connects with me. But I understand that in the reality of the world we live in, maybe that's not a comforting phrase for you. Maybe God as father only creates this even more angry, distant being. And that's, that's, that's not what it's about today. And so I just I want to encourage you, if that's where you find yourself, where the, the word father just brings up lots of emotions, that's okay. But what I want to encourage you to do is come and, come and taste and see God as father. Let him be your father. Just try it out. And I know it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a process for some of you. But I just wanted to throw that out there, that it's okay if that's not a comforting word for you. Mm -hmm. But I need you to know that God is actively working to redefine what fatherhood looks like. Yeah. And, and family, so, family in general, I mean, oh, just yeah. redefining what this family is. So as we go into this, you may be in a place where you feel all alone in this city, or maybe you're getting started in it and you need family, and that is what God has put this for. We're not supposed to be 
alone. So whether you feel alone or not, this is, this is design. This is God's design for us. So. Yeah, I mean, the Father's heart is to adopt and gather people into his family. And, and ultimately, the essence of God is God is a rescuer. It is his nature to rescue. And when God sees us in our deepest pits, and he sees us with all of our scars and our trash, he just reaches his hand into the pit, and he rescues us. He rescues us out of the darkness and wherever you were, and he begins to call you son, and he begins to call you daughter. And the scripture tells us that he adopts us. Um, one of the things I really hope to do one day with my life is to adopt a child. It's been a, a, just a big dream of mine, a desire of my heart, and one day when I have a family, hopefully I can do that. And I just love watching the stories unfold. I've, I've, I've had friends that have adopted children around the world and just, just watching the process and just watching that story. I have friends in Chattanooga right now that are in the process of adapt, uh, adopting a child from the DR Congo and just, just watching that happen and just watching the anticipation of them knowing that they have a child on the other side of the world and they're working to bring them into their family. And I, I love watching those stories because they're such a perfect representation of the gospel and how God views us. Something else I really love to do is um, I love to cry. Um, I really love sad movies and I love um, sad songs and sappy songs and just a, a good cry, you know? Like, does anybody enjoy to cry, crying? Is that weird? There's some hands in the back, so I'm not alone. But I just really love sad things. And so one of the things I love to do is watch Gotcha Day videos. I don't know if you know what this is, but in the world of adoption, Gotcha Day is the day that the parents get to meet their child for the first time. It's when they get to um, just get their kid and there's families just born just like that. And, and, and I love to just go to YouTube, just type in gotcha day, and there's all these amazing, incredibly sad, um, awesomely happy videos. Like most of them have like Rascal Flat songs in the background, and it's just, it's, it's, it's a good time for the soul. And so my favorite part of these videos is there's this moment where the parents see their child for the first time. There's just this moment where the camera always catches it really good, you know, it's just, it's the, the climax of the video, and they see their kid, and they get to hold him in their arms, and there's this thing that happens, you just see it in their eyes. You see it, they just instantly become parents of this child. They don't see a stranger, they don't see a child of a different race or from a different culture, what they see is their child. When they walk into this room, a child that they've never met before, they lay eyes on it, and all of a sudden they're a family. They say, that's my son, that's my daughter, in an instant family. And it's such a beautiful thing because that's how God mm -hmm. views us. He no longer sees us in our pit. He no longer sees us in our trash. He looks at us and he doesn't see messed up people. He sees sons and daughters. He doesn't see our sin. He sees us through the blood of his son, Jesus. And he sees us as righteous and holy, which is an amazing thing, and it, it kind of blows my mind because we just don't deserve to be viewed that way, but he sees us as righteous and holy sons and daughters of God. And as we enter into community together, we have to ask ourselves, how are we viewing the people we do life with? How are we viewing the people in our communities? How are we viewing our neighbors? Are you viewing them through the eyes of the Father? 
Are you viewing them as beloved sons and daughters of God? Because if you begin to view people through the eyes of the Father, people that you interact with every day, people who annoy you, your enemies, people that you wish weren't in your life, if you would begin to view them through the eyes of the Father, it will radically transform how you live. And so as we enter in community together, we have to begin to ask that, are we seeing people the way God sees them? Because if we can't view our neighbors through the eyes of the Father, we won't ever, we won't ever have any real genuine impact. And we can help people and we can, we can pretend to be nice and try to do these things, but until we start to view them how the Father views them, we will not have an impact on our city. Yeah, it's amazing. God, God loves us and accepts us right where he is, but he's got a plan for us and a process in which he wants to lead us to. And it's amazing. I was telling... I met, I met another church planner uh, yesterday, and I was just telling him, through this process of us launching this church, I feel like I calculated everything. Many of you know I'm very OCD and organized. I just have that kind of part of my brain. And <clears throat> I said I calculated everything about this process, but one thing I never calculate, and I never can calculate, is what God's going to do in my heart. And, and as you begin to engage in this, and maybe you've kind of been in the same place for a while, and, and you're calculating a lot of things about your life, just, you, you can't calculate what God wants to do inside of you. Uh, that's something that he has control of, and I, and I know that he wants to do inside of us. And <clears throat> maybe this idea of adoption is very new to you. It's new to, to us. Many times you, you've heard the, the thing about, um, the term about a church family, but did you realize you're a part of an adoptive family? It kind of changes us from this maybe high and righteous place in which many believers take to this place which I really feel is biblical, this humility of we've all been adopted in. We're all adopted kids in the family of God. And we begin to see that this diversity is, is a beautiful thing that God brings us together and unifies us. The term itself, community, is talking about individuals, each of us, even within your own family, your own group of friends, you're individuals. But now we, we share values. And one thing we share is that we've been adopted in and this process transforms us, and it transforms us into the image of Christ. And so let's look at John uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Look at just the first five verses. We see a very clear picture, and you know, maybe not at first, but a very um, kind of telling um, passage of Scripture that tells us a, a, about um, Christ in the middle of the Trinity. <clears throat> um, it says, in the beginning was the word, John uses the Greek term logos or logos to, to describe Jesus as the image bearer, the image in which uh, God the Father created existence. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This isn't something we were just making up. Here it is in the text. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made. <clears throat> that has been made in him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood or overcome it. And, and this is where it, it kind of happens. And as we kind of begin to engage in, in true community, uh, not only are, are we asking about, God, where is my heart? How am I viewing the people around me? Which can kind of set us up for what God really 
wants to do, which is transform us into the image of Christ. There, there's a lot of places, as Jesse alluded to, there's a lot of churches, a lot of people who, who this is a buzzword. Community is a very much a buzzword these days, but, but really it's got to be more than that. We're not just looking to, to create you know, circles of friends. We're looking to engage in something that is transformative in which we are, are encountering God in such a fresh way together in each other in the, the collision of our experiences and our relationship with God is moving us forward. It's moving us forward into the pattern that is Christ and the image um, because that image isn't always so clear and, and God uses the people around us and that's kind of really what we want, want to really grab a hold of today is that the people around you can help you in that process and you, in fact, can help others in this process. And when you're not there, something is missing. If we look into 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, we see so much about the body of Christ and how we're fit together and that truly something is missing when you're not there and you may not feel that. You may feel no one recognizes you, you no one cares, but uh, I encourage you to engage in community uh, because you're needed and people need you. And so as, as we do this, it, it's important that we see that this is a transformational process. Are we just engaging in, in surface level conversation or is transformation happening? Am I being transformed and do whatever we can to, to make that something that we do as a group? A second text that I want to look at is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. I, I love this, this one verse of scripture. It says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. That's just kind of what I picture for community groups, just gathering together and with unveiled faces, just ripping away, kind of uh, not just checking our baggage at the door, but bringing it in and, and really just seeking to know God. Christ has made that possible for us really just going to contemplate the goodness of God, the mercy of God, His glory, His majesty, as we've just been describing, and not let that mystery leave us, but let that mystery lead us to something deeper in Him. Because it says, contemplating the Lord's glory, we're being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. So as we begin to engage in community, don't stay the same. I don't know if you're like me, I, I can very much eat the same thing all the time until I just get tired of it. I'm a crazy cereal eater. This is one area of my life in which I don't eat the same thing all the time. My wife knows, she's over in the nursery today, and literally one time I went into my pantry, and there were like 14 boxes of cereal. I know, it's sad, it's very sad, and all of them had about this much left in them. <laughs> <laughs> except maybe one that I'm eating. All different, you know, types of cereal. I'm a connoisseur of sorts, but, you know, this is one thing that we don't want to stay the same, always experiencing something fresh as, as we contemplate the Lord's glory and do it together. We're being transformed. And, and I don't know about you, but this idea of ever-increasing glory is what I want to experience. And something I'm experiencing even today as I speak is just God moving us from step to step and never getting complacent, always being satisfied with his grace, but always seeking more of it, always seeking more of his presence. So knowing that he's spirit, uh, we can engage and know that he's going to transform us in this process. Just as the Holy Spirit exists within the community of the Trinity, connecting the Father and the Son in love and admiration of, of, of their glory, he exists within our community. 
exists here in this place. The Holy Spirit is present with us. When Jesus is leaving his disciples, he says, I'm leaving you, but I'm not leaving you alone. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm going to send my spirit. and My spirit is going to empower you. My spirit is going to transform you, just like Kyle was talking about. And as we gather together in the community, the spirit comes. And when two or three are gathered Our God is present with us. Mm -hmm. And he begins to mold us together and he begins to transform us and do a really amazing work. And the Spirit exists within us. And it connects us together. It connects us at our deepest core. And the Holy Spirit leads and and, and he guides us into deeper truths and and he he reveals sin in us when when we're not making the right choice. And the Holy Spirit comes and he says, you need to go this way. And the Holy Spirit is just there, and he, and he comforts us when we go through difficult times and we, we experience crisis. He's there comforting us. The scripture tells us that God is close to the brokenhearted, and the Holy Spirit is so active in mending broken hearts and mending this broken world back together. And just like in the early church, he empowers us. And that's kind of what I want to spend some time talking about is how the Holy Spirit empowers us. Empowers us as the church and as a community to shine his name in gospel. And ultimately, community, the community that we're talking about, anchor groups that we're about to launch, we're starting this week, the reason they exist is to shine the glory of God and to shine the glory of the Son, Jesus, and his cross, and what he did for our world. That's why we exist. That's why we're here today, is because of the Son. He came, God gave his only begotten Son, so that we could know God. And that's our message. And the Holy Spirit is coming, and he's invading us so that we can shine the glory of Jesus to the world. And to mold us into greater likeness of the Son. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And he's going to do that in our community. He's doing that right now in this room. And so the Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. And we have to be communities that foster the presence of the Spirit. We have to be communities that fosters the presence of God. We have to learn how to host that. Because if you'll let it, the Spirit will lead you. The Spirit will lead you, and if you, you open up your ears, He'll speak to you. And if we'll learn to listen, He'll speak to us, and, and He'll guide us. And we'll, if we'll learn how to open our eyes, we'll begin to see God everywhere. We'll begin to see God pulling us to all the dark places that we didn't think we were ready to go. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to take risks, just like we talked about two weeks ago, two weeks ago about getting out of the boat and God calling us into difficult places. The Spirit, if you will listen and if you'll open up your heart, He's going to begin to draw you. He's going to begin to draw you to the difficult places and to the hard things. And and in community, that's why we exist, is to make an impact on our city because we believe that God loves it so much and that there's this unconditional love that we want to mirror. And so the Spirit empowers us to do that. And you have to ask yourself, how is the Spirit speaking to me? How is the Spirit speaking to you through the people in your community. Because the Spirit will begin to speak through the people you do life with. That's why we get together and we be- begin to mold each other. And the scripture says, iron sharpens iron. And we-, we-, we begin to mold each other to look more like Jesus. And so if you'll let it, the Spirit will begin to speak through you, through the people in this room, the people sitting next to you, the people that you'll eventually gather with in homes and share meals with. 
Are you willing to let the Spirit mold and shape you through the community that He's placed you in? Yeah. You've got to ask that. Like, are you willing to do that? And, it, and really, you're going to have to lay down some pride to let that happen, to let, let peers begin to speak into your life and maybe begin to point things out that really make you uncomfortable. And so the Holy Spirit will empower us to be able to do that. And also another thing you have to ask is, how is the Spirit calling you to lead and guide you in your community? How is the Holy Spirit calling you to lead and encourage the people that you do life with? Are you willing to take the step to be community to somebody? Are you willing to let the Spirit empower you to become community to people who need it? If you let him, the Holy Spirit will invade you through community. The Holy Spirit will impact your life through the people in this room if you let him. And if you let him, the Holy Spirit will invade this city through you. The Holy Spirit will transform this city through you if you will let him and through your community. I believe that anchor groups are going to have a huge impact on Jacksonville. Like, we've been looking forward to this week for a really long time because this is the chance we get to put skin on it. Like, we get to make it real. The rubber meets the road. And so we are going to have a huge impact on the city because we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit that rose Christ up from the dead exists within us, within our communities, and we will make an impact on this city. Yeah, and I think across this room, at different levels, some of us may be really engaging in, in, in believing in this kind of trinity that, that we're talking about, in this reflection of God, maybe because you don't have any other framework in which to discuss it. And as we said, it, it's a mystery in and of itself. And, and maybe you're pushing back because you already had a kind of a preconceived idea about this. And, but ultimately, what we, we really should be saying is, you know, what does this teach us? Are we reflecting the nature of God, because you can form it any, any, any way you want, but when it comes down to it, uh, when the rubber meets the road, are we reflecting God? Are we reflecting his nature? Are we ref- reflecting his attitude of acceptance and love towards us, or are, are we mimicking something that we've just seen on this earth, or are we mimicking something that's divine? from God. And across this room, you may buy into the idea of community, and you may really believe in community, but you may not be a practitioner of community. And so for some of you that say, oh yeah, yeah, I love community. I'm all about community. You're all about hanging out with people. I get that, and that's neat. But are you true practitioner of community, or are you just a fraud? And sometimes, if I'm really honest, just in the depth of my heart, I just kind of just kind of fake, you know? I think we all are, if we're really honest. We do our best. But it hurts to, to be honest sometimes, doesn't it? And here's the truth, that God doesn't leave us there. But God's invited us into not just communion with him, but communion with him through other people. And he's not just com- invited us into communion with him, but he's invited us into communion with others through him. And so no longer, when someone mourns, will we just say, hey man, I'm praying for you, but we'll hug them, and we'll love them, and we'll serve them. When someone's really excited about something, we won't just say, yay, I'm excited, but we'll truly rejoice with them. And when we do that, we are doing the work of God. 
We are mimicking the Holy Spirit as he comforts others. When we love others, we're, we're, when someone is, is walking in freedom and experiencing victory, we're rejoicing as if Christ would rejoice with that person. We're doing the work of God, and what a joy, what an incredible privilege to do the work of God. I had someone ask me yesterday, what's it like being a pastor? <laughs> and of course, it, the first things that kind of come to my mind is how heavy of a, a role it is just in people's lives, and just a responsibility and a weight that, that I carry personally and just feel on a regular basis, and all that kind of flood of emotion just was over me. But then I, I just said, man, but there's nothing better in the world than just to get to do the Lord's work and get to be involved in people's lives and comfort them when they're hurting and rejoice with them as they experience victory in their life. There's nothing better than that. And it's not a, a thing reserved to pastors. We're all in the same family that have the same responsibility to shine the light, to live in community. And so you don't have to feel insane anymore. You can just know that you're not alone anymore. And maybe this will be the first time for you. I remember for Jesse and I, when we were in college, we sat on the back of a truck with like three other guys. And um, it, it wasn't just airing dirty laundry and just telling stupid things we had done. There was something real that took place there in my life personally, and I think all the guys sitting on the back of that truck experienced that there was like liberation that took place when we were real, I mean, maybe real for the first time and honest, and we looked in each other's eyes and we laughed and cried over how stupid we were sometimes and how we felt alone in our ignorance, but now we don't feel so crazy. There was freedom in that. There was love and power in that that transformed me. I know it transformed the other guys. We want you to experience that as we launch these anchor groups. It may not be your thing. You may have a lot of expectations about what these are going to look like because you've never been a part of it or if you've been a part of it. And maybe all that is is fear for you, and that's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Come with that. Tell everybody, hey, I'm really scared about this because <laughs> I've been hurt. What better way to, to start off and build some trust? But whatever expectations you come with, just expect to be wrong. I, I, expect to learn something fresh. Expect to be transformed into the image of Christ. Expect to be empowered and encouraged and comforted for where you're at. And know that there's a God that loves you, that sees you when you're all alone, that hasn't forgotten about you. So I, I want to encourage you to engage in these with passion and bring people along with you along this journey.